Well, good morning. My name is Kevin Barra. I am the youth pastor here at Grace Bible Church. And uh, don't worry, the kids are under control across the way. Uh, we have a great youth staff, and Jacob Smith is giving the message, and uh, Ben Biles is leading in worship. And so everything's under control. Someone asked that as we were sitting up here. Is, that, is everything okay over there? Yeah, don't, don't worry. Um, things are going well. Um, I've been here for really since July. Um, before that, I was here for three years under Zach Migliazzo as part of the youth staff, and I went away for a year and then uh, returned back and interviewed and got the job, and so it is really fun to actually be up here on a Sunday morning um, in this place. I, I, I didn't even think I'd ever be here um, doing this, so, uh, so, so thank you uh, for the opportunity, and uh, let me pray for us. If you have your Bibles, uh, grab the book of Luke, chapter 17, verses 11 through 19. I'm going to read this. Uh, we're going to pray, and then we'll launch in. Okay? Luke chapter 17, verses 11 through 19. While he, that's Jesus, was on the way to Jerusalem, he was passing between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a village, ten leprous men who stood at a distance met him. And they raised their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourself to the priests. And as they were going, they were cleansed. Now one of them, when he saw that he had been healed, turned back, glorifying God with a loud voice, and he fell on his face at his feet, giving thanks to him. And he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered and said, Were not ten cleansed? But the nine, where are they? Was no one found who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, stand up and go. Your faith has made you well. Father, we praise you for this morning. We praise you for a time to open up your word, to hear from you. And Lord, my, my prayer is that uh, you, would, you would open our eyes, you would open our ears, you would open our hearts so that we might hear from you. And Lord, that you would bring conviction to our hearts. But the conviction wouldn't rest there, that, uh, that you would lead us to live changed lives. And if you're up for it, I would ask you to pray for yourself, um, that you would be ready to hear and listen to what God has for you. If you'd be willing, I'd ask that you pray for me, that uh, my words would be clear, and I'd communicate what God wants us to hear this morning. Well, Father, we love you. We trust you. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, we're going to look today at what it means to give thanks. And uh, a simple definition uh, could be be something like this, if it will go. A realization of a need and a recognition of the one that satisfies it. It's a realization of a need and a recognition of that person or, or someone who satisfies that particular need. You know, giving thanks is replete in the Bible. It's scattered across it, particularly in the Psalms. In fact, uh, David actually assigned a person to give thanks. Like, that was his job. His name was Asaph. Say, Asaph, here's your job. Give thanks. I love to be at that annual review. Like, how's it going this year? You giving thanks. But also, Paul commanded it. Paul commanded us to give thanks. He says, rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. In everything, give thanks. For that is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. So, David assigned it. Paul commanded it. It's the season for it. So, we're going to look at it. 
So what does it mean? It, well, it's a recognition of a need, and a, or a realization of a need, a recognition of a person or the one that satisfies it. Okay, well, you experienced that at Thanksgiving. There was a need for turkey. There was a need for dressing. There was a need for me, two particular pies, a pecan pie and a pumpkin pie. And you realize that you have this need, and there was a recognition when mom or grandma or friends or family brought all of those wonderful dishes before you, and you saw them laid out, you partook abundantly, and you gave thanks accordingly, right? It's a recognition, it's a realization of our need and a recognition of one that satisfies it. But honestly, truly, it's really this. It's a realization of our need and a recognition that only God can truly satisfy it. Thanksgiving or giving thanks to God is really the, the best that we can offer is, is to God. And see, and listen to this. The greater the gift, the greater the gratitude. The bigger the gift given, the greater the gratitude we have in response. And so Thanksgiving may have been great, and you may have thanked mom or grandma profusely for her work. But for me, the greatest kind of event other than being saved that happened in my life was occurred when I was driving from Houston to Katy. I grew up in Katy. And I'm on the highway, I'm in the left-hand lane, and I drove um, bad cars growing up. I don't know if you drove bad cars. I drove bad cars. And as I'm driving the left-hand lane, going toward Katy, it's probably about 4.50, getting near 5 o'clock traffic. And if you know Houston, you know this is not the time that you want anything to go wrong. But something went wrong. And as I'm cruising along in the left-hand lane, my car turned off. Off. And I literally tried to restart my car as it's coasting to a stop. I can't do anything. And, and people in Houston, I grew up there, I can say this, are not very nice. <laughs> and instead of, you know, I turn my signal on, I'm trying to get over there, and no one is helping me out. Everyone's swerving around me, looking at me like I'm crazy. I'm just like, I'm trying to get out of the way, but no one's, no one's helping me out. And I'm steadily coasting to a stop, and then I just get frustrated and angry at everyone around, and Houston's terrible, and Katie's terrible, and ah! And I'm coasting to a stop in the middle of 5 o'clock traffic in the left-hand lane of I-10. There couldn't be a worse situation. And so finally, I coast to a stop, I get out of my car, I shut the door, and I stand like on the side of it in front of my car, cars whizzing by me, and I see a police officer starting to pull by me. Now, I love police officers, and I've got friends who are police officers, and I have nothing against People that serve the law. I want to say that in preference. But this particular police officer, this particular one, he looked at me, I looked at him, and I was like, come on, help. And he looks at me and goes, shrugs his shoulders, and keeps driving. (laughs) I was like, if anyone can help in this circumstance, it's you, and you kept driving. And so I'm sitting there going, I'm going to die. I'm going to sit here on I-10 for the rest of my life. What am I going to do? And just then, Nancy Cowan drove by. Now, Nancy Cowan went to my church growing up, and she drives by, and she sees me. I don't know how she recognized me at 70, but she saw me. She recognized me. Um, she pulled up in, in front of me and backed, backed up to my car, and she gets out of her car and says, hey, well, what do you need? And I said, well, I don't know. She goes, you want to try jumping it? And she, I was like, sure. And so she turns her car around in the middle of traffic. I don't know how this happened. I'm still looking back going, how did this work out? She turned her car around, faced mine, popped the hood, stuck the jumper cables on. We got the car jumped. It's starting. It's running. Things are looking up. We turn her car back around in the middle of traffic, get everything together. And by the time I get back to my car, it was stopped. (laughs) And she said, well, what do you want to do now? And I said, die. Um, I don't know. (laughs) 
what, what, what do you want to do? And, and, and she said, well, we can try to push it across the highway. And I said, okay. Well, by that time, another person had actually pulled off the way and had, had stopped beside me, and, and uh, he was helping out. And so her daughter got into, or they pulled her car over there. She ran back across the freeway. Her daughter um, got in the driver's side. Um, she went into the middle of I-10 traffic and said no. You know, I mean, it's like one of those Neo moments where if you don't get that, it's like Moses and the Red Sea. Everything part, she just said stop, and all of these 18-wheelers just came to a halt right in front of her. It was incredible to behold. <laughs> and we get on behind this car, and we push it across three lanes of traffic onto the other side of the road. Safe. Got, the guy got his car, he got hit out of the way. Everything worked out because Nancy Cowan helped. Now, how odd would it have been of me, after seeing this miraculous event, to say, thanks, and drive off my way? What is the right response? To give thanks. To give thanks profusely. To say, Nancy Cowan, there's no way I could have saved myself in this situation. There's no way I could have done anything for myself. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And what I'm going to do for the rest of my life is sing her praises. Because of what she did in this moment. But we're going to look at a moment where ten people confront Jesus. They come into his midst. He heals them miraculously. And instead of returning to Jesus and giving him the honor that is due, they turn around and they go their own way saying, thanks. See you later. And it seems so odd. It seems so odd. Let's look at this story, okay? Luke chapter 17. We see this first of all. A reality of the situation. The reality of the situation is this. They were abandoned by humanity. I don't know if you understand really what leprosy is. It's a skin disease that eats you from the inside to the outside. It's a skin disease and steadily your skin will literally fall to pieces. You'll lose parts of fingers, all sorts of things. It's a, de- it's a degenerative, harsh disease. And these men, what would happen in this society is that they would be sent as outcasts. They would be sent to live somewhere else. In fact, as you read this, it says, while he, that's Jesus, was on the way to Jerusalem, he was passing between Samaria and Galilee. So these people were in the middle of nowhere, wanted by no one. They had no hope. They had no help. They were stranded. And in their destitute, dark situation, abandoned by everyone around them, they formed this little colony, this small village. And as they're living in this small village, literally all of humanity is just waiting for them to die. They don't want this disease. They don't want them to hurt them or or get sick because of them. They left them there to die. And it's at this point that Jesus comes venturing through. And as Jesus comes venturing through, you see from these men what I would call an appearance of humility. Because it's not true humility. What do they do? They stand at a distance, and they had to do this. According to Levitical law, they had to literally cover their faces, leave their head exposed, rent their garments, and walk. And as soon as anyone would come to them, they would have to shout out, unclean, unclean. I mean, I can't think of a worse position to be in. And as Jesus is walking by, they stood at a distance. And so it's almost as if they were respecting him. And they called out to him, Master, 
Master, will you save us? Master, will you heal us? And Jesus responds, go walk, go to the priest and present yourself to him. And they turn and they leave. Now, the darkness of this situation isn't seen in this little myopic look at it. It comes later on. But here's the reality. Here's the reality of their situation. They were helpless and without hope. And as we are looking at leprosy, you may be thinking of yourself that you are not a leper. You are not in that destitute situation. But sin is like leprosy. It's something that is on the inside and it only really ventures out to the outside. And it influences the way you talk. It influences the way you interact. It influences your heart at the deepest level. And that's why Jesus said, there's nothing that goes into the person that defiles a person. It's what comes out of the heart. And sin is that deep, leprous thing that is eating away at your soul and it's eating away at my soul. And it's that deep thing that leaves us hopeless, stranded, in the middle of nowhere. And as we are hopeless, stranded in the middle of nowhere, Jesus comes, and Jesus speaks, and Jesus heals. And the truth of that only is really seen that if you've accepted that and believe that by how you respond to his action. And we get two different responses to Jesus' action. We get the response of the majority, and I would say that's the majority of our world as well. The response to God's action, we see this. We see that they do this. They receive the gift without receiving the giver. They receive the benefits from God without actually coming to God. Now, why do they do this? I mean, think about it. These were guys that were living in a colony. Who knows how long they had been there? Maybe 10 years, maybe 5 years, maybe a couple of months. As soon as they had found out they were leprous, they were kind of sent to this place. How long had they been there? How long had they been waiting? What were they thinking about? Well, maybe in this, why do they respond? I would say this. They had a wrong object of focus. And for many of us, we have the wrong object of focus. And so when God does something in our lives or interacts in our lives, we are focusing on ourself or an event. I think they might have been self-focused. They received the benefits from God. And as soon as they had gotten that benefit from him, they said, okay, great. I'm going to be healed. I've got what I wanted. I'm going to go live my life and do what I want. I've got the benefit. A lot of people come to church for that. They're Christian high. They get the benefit from God, the warm feeling inside, and they, they accept that little bit, and then they keep on going their way. Or they're event-focused. This is the, the Mary and Martha thing where they're so focused with getting everything right that you can't enjoy the moment, the person that is right there in front of you. You may have experienced this over at Thanksgiving. I remember many Thanksgivings for me growing up. We were more focused on getting the turkey ready than enjoying the family. And when we get so focused on all of these external circumstances, everything else, we lose sight of what we really need to focus on, which is Jesus in their midst. It could have been the wrong object of focus, or it could, be, it could have been this. A wrong operation of living. A wrong operation of living. They live with this operation of expectation and entitlement. For me, um, the, the worst thing, uh, not the worst thing, stupid thing that I did is when I was in college, um, I was in Colorado and I ran track at the University of Texas. And so um, I went to, to um, I know, sorry, sorry, but I ran there. I'm living here. My wife went to vet school here. Anyway. 
Um, so so I, I'm, I'm living in Colorado, and I'm training in Colorado for the summer, and it came up that my apartment was, um, the lease was coming up to, to be done. And so um, I didn't want to come back yet. And so my parents went to my apartment, cleaned up my apartment, packed up my stuff, and, get, and moved it to the next place. Crazy. And I, honestly, they're going to come to the 11 o'clock service. I don't know that I've ever really thanked them for that. Because I was living under this operation of expectation. And as long as my needs are being met, I'm fine. And I think for many of us, we approach God that way. If we receive a benefit from God, we expect it. We're Americans. We expect it. I work hard. We operate under this this sense that as long as we're getting what we need, we're fine. And I think that's why Jesus pointed out in this parable, only the Samaritan came back. Cultural equivalent today, if you were a Jew, it'd be like only the Palestinian came back. Or for us, only Osama bin Laden came back. I mean, this was the people that, this was the group that they despised. Or entitlement. I think these people thought there was a prophet coming through, there was a person coming through, that he gave me what I needed, I deserved it, I'm a Jewish person anyway, and they kind of went their way. You know, as Christians, we should be the most gracious, the most thankful, because we know the depth of what we have received in Christ. Lastly this, our response reveals our worship. Flip flip over to Romans chapter 1. Truly, our response really demonstrates our worship. Here's what it says in Romans chapter 1, verses 20-25. through 25. For since the creation of the world, His divine power, or His invisible attributes, His eternal power, and His divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so that they are without excuse. Now this is Paul's argument. Everyone, all of humanity, is without excuse to give God glory. Why? Because if they should see Him and understand Him through, the, through creative order. Through the things that have been made. For even, the, verse 21, for even though they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks. But they became futile in their speculations and their foolish heart was darkened. The result? Professing to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man and of birds and of four-footed animals and crawling creatures. Therefore, God gave them over in the lust of their hearts to impurity, so that their bodies would be dishonored among them. For they exchanged the truth of God for a lie, or literally the lie, and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. You see, the, the real problem that this demonstrates of receiving the gifts without receiving the giver is that really we're worshipping something else. You see, we were made to worship. And if you don't believe me, go to any football game. What do you do? You stand up, you yell, you scream, you raise your arms. Celebrating them. That's worship. We were made to worship. And if we don't give honor, if we don't give gratitude, if we don't give our thankfulness to our Creator, to the one God, we'll give it to something else. And these men, seeing Jesus in their midst, went on their way. What's the right response? Well, it's the response of the minority. The one. So what did he do? Verse 15, chapter 17, back to Luke. 
Now, one of them, when he saw that he had been healed, he turned back, glorifying God in a loud voice, and he fell on his face at his feet, giving thanks to him. He was a Samaritan. You see, this is the right response to God's gracious gift. This. When was the last time you did this? That you saw the need that you really had. You realized it. And you recognized that God alone was really the one, the only one that really satisfied it. And when was the last time you responded in this way? You saw what God did, and you fell on your face before him. You know, this was convicting for me as I was studying preparing this. Because I was thinking about me personally. When was the last time that I just, I removed myself from distractions, I went simply to the face of God and said, God, you really have given me everything that I need. And responded in thanksgiving. I know this is the season for it, and maybe, you know, for me, this season is always hard, personally. Because I feel myself so distracted by everything else, and not really what it's about. Jesus. This is the right response. And because he responded this way, he received what happens in verse 19. Verse 19. And Jesus, he said to him, stand up and go. Your faith has made you well. Or literally, your faith has saved you. The rest of these men had received the benefits from God, but they didn't receive God. He says, your faith has saved you. Your faith has made you well. And listen, if you recognize your situation, if you see Christ as the solution, you receive salvation. And you may think, looking at this, that what these men really needed was a cure for leprosy. What they really needed was their skin being healed. But that was not their deepest need. You've probably heard this before, but I thought it was so pertinent for this. If man's greatest need was information, God would have sent an educator. If man's greatest need was was technology, he would have sent a scientist. If man's greatest need was money, he would have sent an economist. If man's greatest need was pleasure, he would have sent an entertainer. But our greatest need was forgiveness. And so he sent a savior. You see, God knew our deepest need, the thing that we needed, filled most of all, and it was forgiveness of our sins. Because you and I are separated from God because of our sins. Sin of omission. We omit. We don't do the things that we need to do and we know that are right. Sins of commission. We, sins we commit. Sins we, we commit and we know they are wrong, but we do them anyway. Our greatest need is forgiveness and bridging the gap between our life and a holy God. And if we believe in Jesus and simply turn to him and say, Jesus, you are, man, you've got it. You've got salvation. You've got what I need. He will look at you and he will forgive you. And he will fill your deepest need. Well, how do we respond correctly? How do we respond correctly in thanks? First of all, it takes taking. See, our God is a giver. Our God gives. And that's the difference between our one God and every other God that people chase in the world. Our God is a giver, not a taker. And so the first thing you need to receive in giving gratitude is what God has to offer. Salvation. Have you believed that Jesus alone died in your place for your sins? 
If you've had, that's what you first need to take. But secondly, this. It takes time. To give proper thanks really takes time. This man, he could have gone on his way, but instead of going on his way, he turned, sacrificed time, energy, and effort, and went down to the feet of Jesus. You know, this is what David did when he wrote the Psalms. He took time. He rhymed words. He put it to music. He crafted his thoughts out on paper so that they would be known through the ages, and that's why it happened today. If you take good time to thank God specifically for the things that he has done, it will last, and it will be more meaningful to you and the people around you. So what, what else does it require? It takes thinking. And this is the way that I like to think about God. I like to think God about what God has done in the past, what God is doing in the present, and what God is promising in the future. So what has God done in the past? Read your Old Testament. He took a people, a marginalized, nobody people, and he made them into a nation which he would bring the coming king. Think about God's past, what he's done. Think about what God is doing in your present. And I think for many of us, it's hard to think of what God and be thankful for what God is doing in our present because we get more consumed with our deficiency and not God's sufficiency. We start thinking about all those things that we don't have instead of thanking God for what we do have. And God's future promises. What is God promising to do? He's promising one day there will never be another Christmas light to put up. He's promising one day there will never be a waiting. He's promising one day there will never be any tears, nor crying, nor pain, no more bodily injuries, no more, no more the issues that you have and that I have. God is holding that out before us, saying one day all of this will be done away with. And if you rightly see that, you can rightly give thanks. And lastly this, it takes talking. This may seem very intuitive to you, may seem very obvious, but I put it up there because sometimes we just forget the simple things. It takes talking. Maybe over this break, you take some time, and you really write out, maybe you journal, maybe if you're artistic, you write a poem, maybe if you're really artistic, you write a song, and you thank God for those things that he has done for you. And then you tell people those things that he has done. And maybe during this Christmas season, it's a coworker, or it's a neighbor, or it's a friend. Maybe someone that you've always wanted to have a conversation with, but you never really had. Or maybe you need to pray for that open opportunity, that open door that God would, that would provide for you so that you can respond by telling them of the great things God has done for you. That's my last challenge to you. And for me personally, this is always, um, it's always a challenge for me to talk to my neighbors. But my, my wife and I uh, just recently moved into a new house. We're, we're homeowners. I'm very thankful. And I think one of the challenges that I'm going to do for this, um, personally, for this season, is to go and visit my neighbors, maybe bring them some cookies that my wife can cook, hopefully, <laughs> and start that process of building a relationship and praying for an opportunity to talk about the great things God and Jesus has done for me. Maybe that's something that you need to do, too. Let me pray for us. Father, I thank you so much for this morning. A time to hear from you. Um, a time to, uh, to look at your word and receive salvation by your son.
And Lord, I know that many of us, uh, maybe we are not thankful. We don't express the gratitude that we probably should. Lord, I pray that you would give us opportunity. And God, that we would respond to you because you are a good God. In your name we pray. Amen.